Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbionica is your solution to great-tasting, all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or toxins. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. C-Y-M-B-I-O. TIKA.com. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school, you're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Thank you for tuning in. Big show today. A lot of really interesting folks to talk to, including our next guest, Adam White, a senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. It's always a pleasure to welcome Adam to the show. He was also a member of the Biden Supreme Court uh, Commission, a.k.a. the Port Court Packing Commission uh, at the American Enterprise Institute. Adam White focuses on American constitutionalism, the Supreme Court, and the administrative state. Concurrently, he co-directs the C. Boyd and Gray Center for the Study of the Administrative State at the Antonin Scalia School of Law at George Mason University. Uh, glad we got you back, Mr. White. How are you, sir? Great. Glad to be back, Joe. Oh, it's it's uh, our pleasure to have you. I was just uh, reading your uh your CV, as they say, um, and your specialty in studying uh, the administrative state. I imagine you get invited to many, many cocktail parties, people just dying to hear about administrative law. Hmm. You know, the, the, you always think there's no way to make lawyers even more boring, and then you specialize <laughs> in administrative law, and you just you go one level lower. Well, I'm glad you took that sarcasm in the spirit it was intended, because the 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 irony of that is that administrative law can have such an enormous effect on all of our lives, our businesses, the economy, etc. For folks who haven't really familiarized themselves with that so-called fourth branch of government, why is administrative law so significant? Well, it's so significant because uh, in this day and age, and for the last many decades, most of our law and policy at the federal level really is made in and around administrative agencies rather than in Congress. Uh, Congress has spent decades upon decades delegating broad power and discretion to these agencies, and it's those delegations over time reached a tipping point where now Congress has less and less incentive to do any more work of its own because the agencies can do it. And so Congress instead focuses on things like oversight hearings or going on cable news shows or or raising money or whatever they do, while the agencies become the center of gravity in government. And a good example of it comes in the aftermath of of the recent Dobbs case overturning Roe v. Wade. All of us, including me, we say, you know, this is a good decision because it it returns these issues properly to the states. But quite frankly, first and foremost, it'll send these issues to the administrative state. You already see the Biden administration talking about what the FDA might do 
what Health and Human Services might do. Uh, activists arguing that the federal government needs to provide access to abortion on federal lands, on federal property, that kind of thing. Those are all administrative state issues. But, of course, it goes much broader than that. And we're about to see, we expect, a big decision out of the Supreme Court in a case involving the EPA, which is significant for climate policy. But it's also significant. It could be significant for the administrative agencies more broadly. You know, I was just going to get into uh, just a little more about the significance of, of the agencies and what they do, but we can we can just talk about the cases, because my point was merely going to be that these agencies, these bureaucrats, they write, they quote-unquote pass, uh, they adjudicate, and, and they punish violations of law. They're not called law, I guess, the rules and regulations, but if, if I get fined or I go to jail because I won't pay the fine, it sounds like a law to me. It sure does. And sometimes even when, in theory, you have a right of judicial review when the process is all done and the court might throw out what the agency's done, sometimes the process is the punishment. Sometimes having to endure this long and costly uh, administrative process, whether you're trying to develop your land, whether you're a company trying to to get federal approval of some new product, um, those things are costly and they take time. And, And I want to be very clear, I'm not a nihilist. I'm not a radical libertarian, and I'm even pretty sympathetic to, to you know, a, a, a strong federal government on national issues. Uh, I believe in all those things, but, you know, it's summer vacation time, and my dad always told me uh, sometimes that the journey is as important as the destination. It's important that these issues get funneled through legislatures uh, rather than through administrative agencies, because the legislatures have to deliberate often have to compromise, have to moderate things, whereas administrative agencies are built to move quickly and unilaterally, which means they tend to act a bit more sweepingly and a a lot less moderately. So tell us about these cases before the court and what significance they might end up having. Sure. Well, this year we've already seen several of these cases um, involving administration. We saw them, of course, in the OSHA vaccine mandate case, where the Supreme Court held that while OSHA has a lot of power to regulate uh, working condition in in large companies, they can't use that as a point of leverage to create a you know a de facto nationwide vaccine mandate for all Americans. Um, and when the Supreme Court reached that decision, they 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 used not necessarily by name, but as Gorsuch pointed out in a separate opinion, they used what's called the major questions doctrine, which is a legal way of saying that the courts are increasingly skeptical of an agency suddenly discovering in an old statute really transformative new powers uh, that have never been invoked before. So again, OSHA has broad powers, but not necessarily powers so broad as to allow it to impose a nationwide uh, vaccine mandate. Whatever you think of vaccines, and and I I have mine, uh, these are the sorts of things that need to be handled by legislatures, especially at the state level. Now, the next big case that's coming down the pike for the Supreme Court involves the EPA. The EPA's latest suite of greenhouse gas regulations, it's a dispute that really goes back to the Obama administration and the Trump administration changing the climate rules, but the Biden administration changing them back. And in a nutshell, the Supreme Court has been asked to decide whether the EPA really does have power under the Clean Air Act to regulate the entire energy and manufacturing economy through what's called what the Obama administration called the Clean Power Plan. And uh, the Supreme Court might issue the case, might decide the case in pretty narrow terms, either approve it or disapprove it. But if they do disapprove it, we'll all be watching for signals as to how uh, narrowly the court might construe other regulatory statutes. And, and 
just one more thing, Joe, I don't mean to blather on, but other cases the courts decided have administrative state aspects. Take the New York case, New York rifle, the Second Amendment case with New York uh, regulating the, the licenses to, to carry uh, handguns outside the home. It was mostly a Second Amendment case. It had to do with how the courts evaluate your right to keep and bear arms. But the, at the center of the case, and what really troubled the justices, was the fact that in New York and in five other states, the regulator, the one who issues these licenses, had pretty much boundless discretion. It wasn't that they sort of had a check-the-box list and they look for certain facts and it can satisfy, as an applicant, satisfy those facts, you get your license. No, the New York statute really left total discretion in the hands of the licensor, and that really troubled the justices. So you can see these issues seep into other cases that you don't really think of as administrative state issues. So I know asking you to make uh, predictions is kind of an iffy uh, proposition. Adam White's on the line, by the way, from the American Enterprise Institute. Um, but is is there a chance that the Supreme Court will fundamentally s- s- say, the gigantic growth of the power of the administrative state has been wrong from the beginning and we're going to roll it way back, or is this much more likely to be incremental, as you say? No, Rome wasn't built in a day, and it wasn't unbuilt in a day. And I'd say we should have a similar expectation here. I think for folks like me who are skeptical of the administrative state and want to see it um, have more legal constraints on it, I think the most we can hope for is the Supreme Court uh, declaring the EPA's uh, policy here, or its assertion of power over climate policy, to be an overreach. It might leave the door open to more narrow climate regulations, and I'd be fine with that. Um, but it would, I think, if the court were to say this is just too overbroad, and we are in, in future cases going to continue to be skeptical of agencies suddenly creating new transformative programs in old, through old, old statutes, I think that would send a good signal. There's basically two, within the conservative block on the court, There's you can think of it as two camps. There's some justices, I think Thomas and Gorsuch are in this camp, certainly, who want the judges in the lower courts and the Supreme Court to have no deference for administrative agencies and, and also to be willing to strike down statutes as unconstitutional when they delegate too much power to an agency. For other justices, like Chief Justice Roberts, Kavanaugh, um, they've sometimes agreed rhetorically, but when push comes to shove, they're in a more of an amend it, don't end it camp where they don't necessarily want to strike down a lot of statutes as unconstitutional, but they do want to put more uh, guardrails on the agency process. Uh, they want maybe steadier administration. Uh, and I think there's something to be said for, for both camps. So I assume that when this ruling comes down, you'll be writing about it? I will. I just had a okay. new piece out in Commentary Magazine on another important case in the same vein on out of the Fifth Circuit involving the Securities and Exchange Commission. And, uh, you know, I, I keep writing on these things because, you know, even if Rome isn't um, built in a day, it, you know, every little bit helps. All right. Well, we'll absolutely look for that after the uh, ruling comes out. One more quick question. We've barely we got about two minutes left. Um, I've been reading a lot about the shocking leftward swing of America's law schools. And the Antonin Scalia Law School at George Mason University is not one of those institutions, from what I understand. Um, uh, do you have any thoughts on that topic? What have you seen at, uh, per, well, uh, D.C. is lousy with uh, big-name law schools. Um, it, it's shocking to me. They've abandoned, like, the principle of neutrality before the law, that sort of thing. 
There's a few things happening. One is on just the campus culture in general, the things that students and faculty members face when they voice po- opinions that are unpopular on campus. Uh, that's a longstanding debate, but obviously in the last five or ten years it's become even worse, especially in light of, of new social media technologies and others. But there's just the general leftward tilt of academia, and that's also a longstanding issue. Um, but I'd say one of the reasons why things seem to be reaching an interesting moment, these debates getting so heated, is I think legal academia, which tends to lean towards the left, is coming to grips with the fact that the Supreme Court that they study and write about and advocate before uh, is facing a generational turn towards textualism, towards originalism. Imagine starting up your entire career eager to champion and defend the Supreme Court, only to find about halfway through your academic career that you no longer agree with the court anymore. Um, I'm lucky not to be in that position, um, but I think it must be challenging for others. Adam White, Senior Fellow at the American Enterprise Institute, uh, Co-Director of the C. Boyd and Gray Center for the Study of the Administrative State at the Etna and Scalia Law School at George Mason University. Adam, it's always enlightening. Thanks a million. Uh, Look forward to the next time. Likewise. Thanks, Joe. Thank you. Armstrong and Getty. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Nobody wants to outlive their money, but it happens, especially for women. That's why Gainbridge offers the Parity Flex annuity, designed for women's unique retirement needs, with flexible withdrawals plus a guaranteed lifetime income benefit that keeps paying you even if your account balance is zero. Gainbridge is helping build a better financial future for women. Retirement income you can't outlive is the ultimate flex. Start saving now at Gainbridge.io. Visit Gainbridge.io slash ParityFlex for current rates, full product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running everything would suddenly stop hospitals factories schools and power plants they all depend on you no matter the weather emergency or time of day you're the ones who get it done at Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies count on real-time product availability and fast delivery call click or just stop by Granger for the ones who get it done.